you're going to bring it up and, and just put salt on the wound? Will you stop yelling at me? No! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. No, no, you're making me nervous, but seriously. It's the T.C. Martin Show. No, listen. Is there a question? You're making me nervous. Diagnosis. Oh, and a foul. Prognosis. Well, that's good. Osmosis. And they'll reset. And Nowitzki again for the lead. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hour number two here on this Tuesday edition. Miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com, and check it all out. Chuck Esposito will join us at the bottom of the hour, continuing talking about some college hoops and a whole lot more this hour. Don't forget, at the Westgate on Fridays, our Friday home, 2 to 4 p.m. Come on out and see the show live. A lot of fun coming out. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, will be joining us in town here for the WCC tournament, which kicks off here. Uh, in another day or two, all right, with the semifinals Monday night at the Orleans Arena and, of course, the championship game on Tuesday. Are we going to see Gonzaga-St. Mary's for a third time like we normally do? Probably so. So we look forward to that uh, as well. Plus, Marco D'Angelo will be joining us and also uh, headline comedians join us Friday at the Westgate as well, too, including Kathleen Dunbar, uh, outstanding comedian at uh, the Comedy Cabaret that is on display at the Westgate Las Vegas Thursday through Saturday nights. Get out there, and we have tickets to give away for that. All right, we continue on here on this Tuesday edition with our good friend from U.S. Integrity, Matthew Holt. What is happening, my friend? TC, how we doing? March Madness officially starting yesterday in February with the first two (laughs) conference tournament games, but I got tournaments games on uh, right now starting, and I can't begin to explain how excited I am. I love this time of year. I know. And speaking of that, Matt, let's let's talk about that because you know you have a lot of these uh, smaller conferences like the uh, the a- the Atlantic Sun, which which started you know yesterday. Uh, the Horizon Big South uh, getting ready to start, and we're seeing that a lot of these these smaller tournaments are playing in empty arenas, and I know that's got to be a, a concern for these conferences because let's face it i mean this is uh, supposed to be a money making venture for all of these conferences and we see that you know the big the big ones i mean they make plenty of money here but but focus on you know these ones that are kind of get buried in television coverage i mean it, you know you're maybe you know uh, aware of these smaller conferences having their tournaments if you're watching sports center you know maybe the tail end of the hour or something like that and I know I was watching it last night. And I'm going, man. I mean, there there can't be more than a than 100, 200 people at some of these venues. Talk a little bit about that aspect. Uh, you know, from uh, the financial standpoint. Well, TV is where they make their money with these things, TC, and even the bigger tournaments. I promise you this: if you go to the Orleans um, for the WCC early rounds next week, you won't see it, and it's not that much different in the early rounds of the Pac-12. And the reason is simple. If you're playing in these first-round games, that probably means that your team didn't have a very good year or you wouldn't be playing in these 7, 10, 8, 9 games in these conference tournaments. Thus, the fan bases don't tend to travel because they don't anticipate you being there very long. So all of these, including some of the big ones, I was at the SEC in Nashville in March of 2020 right before COVID hit, but they played those first two games that first night and it wasn't jam packed in there despite the fact that Georgia Edwards was going to be the number one pick in the draft and it was still half full. So I just think it's the, the, the fact that the, the teams that are playing in these early round games, the fan bases don't expect them to be there that long and thus they don't travel. As soon as Gonzaga starts playing in the semis, the Orleans is full. You can't buy a ticket until then. You know, there's plenty of room to be had. So I think this is a consistent, especially amongst the smaller schools. And we look at some of these, uh, you know, conferences will play on on neutral floors, and then some will will actually play at the higher seeded team uh, as well, too. And is that done just to, I mean, to give the, you know, reward that team, or is that for, uh, for financial gain, do you think? And again, different conferences, I mean, most do neutral sites, but there's some of the smaller ones that do play on home sites. 
I think it's a little bit of both. Like the Horizon League plays their first uh, two rounds at the home sites, and I think that's to give an advantage to the regular season teams that performed better, as well as save the travel money, you know, before they head out to Indianapolis. And I'm all for, I like the way the WCC does it. I know some people don't. You know, why does Gonzaga and St. Mary's get a bye all the way until the semifinals? Because they were the best two teams during the regular season. And if you're these small conferences, these one-bid leagues, with the amount of dollars that are on the line for every unit, that's what they call it in the NCAA, every game played is called a unit, getting one win, pulling one upset is so important to that conference for years to come financially. It's millions of dollars that they want their best representation, their best possible opportunity of pulling an upset or two and winning a game or two and getting those extra units or games played, which each are worth millions. So I'm all for giving advantages. I'm watching the Sunbelt tournament now. There's a game on now and you know, all those teams have to play every single round. So if you're going to win, you're going to have to win three or four games in, in five days. And that's really difficult for the teams that have performed so well during the regular season. Look, if I ran a conference, I would give buys to my top two seeds all the way to the semifinals as well. Give them the best opportunity, reward them for being so good throughout the entire regular season, and then give your conference the best opportunity at pulling an upset in March. Mm -hmm. Matthew Holt joins us uh, from U.S. Integrity. And Matt, on that, the financial aspect, as and you mentioned it, you know, you get to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that is just a... It's a big check uh, that you're earning, you know, for that university and getting there. And then we're, you know, talking about the conference tournaments, you know, making money. Uh, where does that? How does that scale at when you look at the the major conferences for you know making money at these annual tournaments? And it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, how many games a, a team wins? It's not like they're really being more compensated if they make it to the finals, right? But talk about how they distribute that money during the conference tournaments and how 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 much of it is a money maker at these conference tournaments. I don't know that it is a big time money maker. And in some of the bigger conferences, they do pretty well. You know, they'll, you know, the SEC will sell out the arena from sort of the quarterfinals on, certainly at the semifinals on. Um, and a lot of it is really dependent on the fan base, regardless of who the best teams in the SEC are. And obviously this year it's not Kentucky, it's Alabama's and Tennessee and Texas A&M. I guarantee you, if you ask the SEC who they want in the finals right now, it's Kentucky, even though Kentucky's whatever they are, four, five, or six seed, and not one of the best because their fan base travels so much. And in order to sell merchandise and concessions and everything else, you need Kentucky there. And a lot of these conferences are dependent on one or two fan bases that historically just continue to travel at amazing rates. I don't think these things really are huge money makers, but what they are, TC, is a rare opportunity to get all these coaches, players, athletic directors in the same venue. And what you do see at a lot of these conference tournaments is they'll hold athletic director meetings, coaches meetings, so they can actually turn this into a multi-purpose week. Not only are they playing the conference tournament, but they're able to have athletic director meeting, coach meetings, and get a, a lot of the conference administrative work out of the way all in one facility, all in one week. You mentioned Alabama and uh, this program under a lot of scrutiny right now. It's too bad because they have had a fantastic season. They're currently number two in the country. They spent time at number one. And when you look at this team on the court, Matt, I mean, they're exciting. They can score. They've got size. And I know the people in Tuscaloosa are very, very excited that this team, you know, could maybe be a national championship team or at least a final four team because it's been a long, long time since the tide have been that good. But now you got this situation hanging over them with Brandon Miller, their leading scorer, being implicated in as being an accessory uh, to murder. And the way Nate Oates has handled this situation has not been good or really the athletic director. Uh, how much uh, do you think this is going to hinder this Alabama basketball team uh, going into the tournament? I don't know, and it's a really interesting scenario because normally you would think that this would just be as big of a distraction as there could possibly ever be to this program, to the student-athletes involved. But if you remember that the game directly after all this information came out, 
Brandon Miller went for 41. Two games after this information came out, he was getting patted down in a pregame ritual. I've never seen an athlete in my life that is as tone deaf as Brandon Miller appears to be or that this program compares to be. And look, the SEC is a client of ours. I think that Alabama is amazing. I think that Nate Oates is one of the best basketball coaches in America. Brandon Miller is probably the best collegiate player in America. I mean, they say that the top two picks are probably going to be international, but the top collegiate pick is likely to be Brandon Miller. I think there is no doubt in my mind, personally, as someone who avidly watches and follows college basketball 365 days a year and bets and follows it every day, uh, in October, when in November, when the season starts, when everyone else is focused on football, that Alabama is the best team in the country on the court. I would think this would be a huge hindrance. The problem is, if you're going to back Alabama, is there is still some distinct possibility that multiple athletes, not just Brandon Miller, obviously there is another freshman involved in this incident, parking his, you know, at the actual scene where the individual died. So. My assessment is that if Brandon Miller's in trouble, so isn't this other freshman who plays significant time. So at the end of the day, you you run the risk of losing two key players if you bet on Alabama, whether it's before the conference tournament starts or before the NCAA tournament starts. And obviously Alabama has taken the stance that they're going to let this thing play out and, and hope that they can get through those two tournaments before this takes place. But Boy, they really do appear, at least, to be a little bit tone-deaf in this situation in the way that they've handled it. No, you hit the nail on the head with, with tone-deaf. That's, that's, that's a great, um, you know, term there. And, you know, I, I'm just saying that I, I don't I don't understand why they have not handled this better. I mean, they have basically tried to ignore it, and then now they're getting more and more pressure. And, you know, the, the home game that they had against Arkansas on Saturday, that was a home game. But wait till this team you know, goes on the road. I mean, they are really going to be hearing it from fans and, you know, and then hearing the excuse that they're using, uh, when, when, you know, Nate Oates is saying, well, I didn't see, uh, the pat down. And, and again, we talked about it last hour, but I'll reset the stage again. And this has happened the last couple of games, but the home game on Saturday with news coming out that, Hey, you know, he, you know, he's not guilty. We're going to let him play. And there are a lot of people that are, you know, anti Alabama right now saying this guy shouldn't even be playing Brandon Miller. So what happens? You know, one of uh, his teammates pats him down, uh, you know, like, like, Hey, we, you you know, he's our guy's not guilty that, you know, um, you know, you know, we, we kind of, you know, got one over, not got one over, but, you know, it, it's a shot at the police. It's a, it's a shot at this situation here when they should be more careful of the message that they're trying to send here. And then what's horrible, Matt, is then when Nate Oates is saying, well, I didn't see that. And then I talked to the players about it and the players come up with this lame excuse are saying that, well, well, that's got nothing to do with that. That's, uh, you know, um, just a, a, a kind of a thing, you know, like the TSA, you know, uh, we're mocking, not mocking, but they're doing like this TSA thing. When you go to the airport, you're getting patted down. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, I, I, I did even say that that is what, why you're doing it is just as absurd and will continue to make people more and more mad about the situation and escalate this thing to where it's really going to be a distraction. I think they certainly could become villains in this tournament like we haven't seen at any point over the last 20 years. So we always have villains in sports, you know, the Yankees or the Astros after what happened there. And there's always sort of the good guys and the villains in a lot of these uh, these sporting events, but not normally in college basketball. We're talking about kids here. But at the end of the day, what, what these guys seem I mean, amazingly tone-deaf, too, is that a 23-year-old young lady lost her life. She was a mother of, with a 5-year-old child. And at the end of the day, she lost her life, and two of your players drove up and blocked that car in in which that young lady was shot in while another one of the players shot her. Whether or not you want to say anything, whether or not anybody's guilty or should be charged criminally, they seem tone deaf to what happened here. A young mother lost her life, and they're going out there making these mocking 
um, you know, whatever they little dances they do in the pregame rituals, and I just think it's embarrassing. Yeah. So you work, like you said, the SEC is a client of yours. You know uh, the people in this conference. At what point in time does the SEC or do they, Matt, step in or um, you know someone you know a, 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 you know past the conference? Is that says, hey, you guys got to do something about this. Uh, do you think pressure is mounting there, or are they just you know solely leave this on the University of Alabama? So normally the conference leaves this type of discipline to the school. So the conference only steps in on eligibility-related issues and things like that, and then the NCAA can suspend other players, um, and then the schools usually handle discipline if it's not um, eligibility related. So in this case, I think the conference is trying to stick by its normal bylaws and agreements with the schools by allowing the school to handle it. But the school just seems like they have completely shut the windows on every side to everything that's coming in, and they're living in their own little world. And it's one thing not to suspend the athletes involved, and we get, hey, they're part of the reason, let's all acknowledge this, part of the reason those athletes probably haven't been suspended yet is because Alabama has a chance to win a national championship, something that they don't often do in the sport of basketball. So that certainly plays a role in this. And without those two athletes, especially Brandon Miller, who could be the best player in the country, they're probably not going to win a championship. That part of it I get. But the fact that they're going out and mocking this and everything, it's really terrible. Um, And it doesn't seem to phase that young man at all. Again, we talk about Brandon Miller coming out unfazed, dropping 41, while the rest of the team – seemed distracted and struggled against South Carolina. And then to do that frisking thing after that, I mean, um, the facts that are out are the facts. You were there. You brought a gun there. You brought a gun to another player who shot and killed a young lady who was a mother of five. Those things are undisputable. Whether you could be criminally charged is so irrelevant in this situation Alabama should be going out there and holding vigils for a young mother who lost her life. And how can we help that family? And instead, they're mocking her on national TV by doing the fake frisking in their pregame. And and I love the SEC. I mean, you know, I go to all their events. I represent. I wear the gear. I'm so happy and proud that they're a client. I feel like this is a spot where the the ball has been dropped a little. Yeah. And I think, you know, both things that we talked about are going to happen and we're going to see more and more of this. A, the Alabama is going to become, uh, the villain, um, you know, during this entire run, the rest of the regular season into the conference tournaments and to the NCAA tournament. And I think, uh, you know, what we're also going to see, you know, here is it will become a distraction. It, you know, in this locker room, it has to, Matt. It just has to. I mean, these are, for the most part, still 18, 19, 20 year old kids, for the most part, you know, having to deal with this, uh, hovering around them. And of course, you know, there's, you know, maybe a small fraction of this team that, you know, you know, knew, um, you know, the shooter, you know, you know, Miles. And of course, you know, but there are other guys that are like, Hey, you know, no, we're not down with that. We, we didn't really know this guy that well or care for him, even though he was an ex teammate. And, uh, you got to just feel that this is going to, uh, be hovering around this program the more that they don't get in front of it. And as the further that the tournament goes on. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder what it's going to, how it's going to affect Brandon Miller. I think they're, you know, despite the fact that the best player, you know, the number one pick is an international player. I mean, I wonder if he goes number two. If if you're a pro team looking at him, do you wonder about his character now that not only could you be involved in some way, and whether or not, again, whether or not he's ever criminally charged, you brought a gun and blocked in the car that held a 23-year-old young lady that was shot and killed with the gun you brought to the scene who was a mother of a five-year-old, and then you mocked it on national TV by doing a fake frisking? There has to be some character concerns, and I wonder if that's going to trickle into the draft, too. But I've never seen anything like this in my life, TC. I never remember a player um, being this good, this prominent on on a number-one-ranked team, being involved in a murder, 
and and then seeing something handled the way it's been handled, I'm I'm just blown away to be honest. I know. Yeah, Matt Holt uh, joins us from U.S. Integrity. Uh, Matt, on another note here, and again, this involves the SEC too, but this isn't uh, just the SEC. We, we're seeing this, you know, it, arenas everywhere where f- more and more universities now are selling these front row seats. Uh, for a lot of big dollars. And there was an incident going back last weekend, uh, the week before or last, when Kentucky was at Florida. I'm not sure you're aware of this or not. Uh, they're in Gainesville when, when a fan, uh, threw a chapstick at a Kentucky player, they were berating the, the Kentucky, um, you know, players and actually, you know, throwing stuff at them. And then I know Jimmy Dykes, who was on the call, uh, you know, for ESPN actually, you know, he actually said something, uh, to, to some of the fans. And then actually, you know, Calipari was pretty hot about this as well, too. But, you know, it's one thing when you see fans storming the court, but now we're seeing fans that are getting in players' faces. This is not a safe environment. And it all comes down to people sitting in these front row seats because they were, you know, before you, you wouldn't even see these seats there. But universities feel like, hey, we can make a lot of money here. We see, we've been seeing in the NBA for many, many years, for decades, but now we're seeing that trickle down to the, to the college level. I want your thoughts, you know, on this and what should be done about this. This is a tricky situation, TC, and it really is a basketball problem because in most of the other sports, there is enough separation between the fans and the athletes that we don't have this problem. This is a basketball problem, both college and pro, where the fans are literally involved in the game, you know, where players go crashing to the sideline, they're ending up in the fans, in the laps of fans. And because those fans are so close, there's opportunity for a lot of confrontation, altercation, engagement that just shouldn't happen. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. Why are you trying to put your players and have there be engagement with fanatics? It just doesn't make sense. Um, and something certainly has to be done about it. At some point, we're going to see something go really, really wrong. And we're starting to see it grow and escalate more and more. The level of the incidents is growing and the level of the lawsuits that follow them, TC. And I wonder, as these lawsuits continue to trickle in, and I wonder if some of these people don't get these front row seats in hopes something happens so they could file lawsuits against these billionaire teams and, and, you know, players making hundreds of millions of dollars, or they may not go there with the best intentions. I think there's just lots of lawsuits waiting to happen. And at some point, I know it's a fan experience that the teams can sell, for significant amounts of money. Uh, but if the lawsuits continue to pile up, then I think the risk is going to outweigh the reward here pretty quickly. And again, there's limited stuff that you can do, but like with most student sections, okay, they are in the actual stands. You don't see, you know, this is happening, uh, you know, for the most part with these floor uh, seats that are, that are seated next to the bench or on the baseline or right there. But most of them are, you know, uh, again, you know, either across the benches, but they're on, you know, your, your feet are on the wood, you know, plain and simple. And almost, you know, these fans actually think that they, like you said, you know, part of the game, that they're, that they're part of the game. And yeah, I just, you would like to just see them like, you know, take that stuff away. And, you know, you go back to the old UNLV days of the Thomas and Mac and they called it Gucci row and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. I get that. And it's, it's called Gucci row because, you know, they're selling these seats from anywhere from, you know, 1500 to $5,000, depending on the venue and depending on the game. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Again, I know the seats are valuable, um, but it's leading to a lot of unintended consequences and altercations and it just engagement, interaction period that shouldn't be happening with fans and players at a sporting event. Fans are emotional. You're selling, you know, drinks and beers to these people. A lot of times they go, they're intoxicated. And you don't want an intoxicated fan who's emotional and energized already interacting in a physical nature with your players. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways, and, and hopefully they figure out something, some way for those fans to still be there, to be that close to the action, but also be some type of barrier or something put in place to, to keep them from having that same level of interaction they're able to have with the players. All right, and putting it on the court here, Matt, as we get ready for all of the tournaments coming to Vegas, uh, starting with the WCC this week, and then, of course, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the Big West, uh, the WAC, all here. Uh, 
which uh, which tournament are you most intrigued with? Uh, well, I think the Pac-12 is really exciting this year because I think there's a lot of teams that can win it. But I also think the WCC um, is a little underrated. Everybody's assuming that it's going to be Gonzaga and St. Mary's. I'm not 100% sure they both make it. I get the fact that one of them is certainly going to be in the finals. But look at LMU has beaten both Gonzaga and St. Mary's already this regular season. Santa Clara is, is, is as good as Santa Clara has been in 15 years at least. I actually think there's a sneaky chance that Santa Clara, LMU, maybe even a BYU, San Francisco picks one of these two teams off and we get a surprise upset in the final. Not necessarily to win the WCC, but in the final. Um, I don't think it's as dead a lock that it's St. Mary's Gonzaga as everyone may think. Wow. And, and again, it just seems like, uh, you know, USF, uh, BYU, Marymount, Santa Clara. I mean, th- these, these teams are capable. I mean, we know that, but are they capable enough to, to put a run together? And, and as we know, the, it is tailor made for, uh, Gonzaga and St. Mary's because again, they've got the double buy. And like you said, I mean, they should. I mean, they should because, you know, let's, let's base this on the regular season records. And if you finish the top two, okay, that, that that's, that's probably well deserved. Well, no, they are the two be, uh, better teams in the conference. We, we get that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I to me, I just think we're going to definitely see a showdown once again, uh, with these two teams. And for me, Matt, I just, you know, I, I think it's going to be, you know, Gonzaga again. I mean, St. Mary's is a nice team, but even though they beat uh, Gonzaga earlier in the year, I mean, the game, that we saw the other night up in Spokane. I mean, it was payback for Gonzaga, and we see how Gonzaga handles payback games, what they did in Marymount a couple weeks ago uh, after, you know, that 70-game home winning streak uh, was snapped uh, by the Lions uh, to the Zags, and they came back and went to Marymount and beat them by 45, and then, you know, they just really took St. Mary's out of their game. So, uh, again, I don't think we're going to get, you know, a, a surprise, a shock here. I think it's going to be these two teams. I think the Zags are cutting down the nets once again, what, for the 19th time (laughs) yeah i certainly think that if the zags get there then they're going to be really tough to beat because that place might as well be a home game you've been there plenty even if it's saint mary's gonzaga that championship game will be 90 percent gonzaga fans 10 percent saint mary's no doubt about it all right brother we appreciate the time as always uh great stuff and uh we'll uh, look forward to seeing you at the tournaments yeah, see you at the games, TC. Take care. There he is, Matt Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity. Uh, again, uh, great time of year. We love it. It all starts with the West Coast Conference uh, tournament uh, starting here this weekend. And uh, Monday, the semifinals. Tuesday, uh, the finals. And then we get right into the Mountain West Conference. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the men here. But let's don't forget about the ladies' tournaments uh, as well, too. Uh, Pac-12, some top-notch teams. You know, there, of course, with UCLA and Stanford, Arizona, um, but don't forget the Mountain West. Okay. This should be a great tournament for Lindy LaRock and the UNLV Lady Rebels. Uh, they are undefeated in a conference. They close out the season, um, against, uh, uh yeah, uh, UNR tomorrow night. So yeah, here, right? It's today, uh, tonight, here. Today's, tonight here. It's Tuesday. Or, yeah, yeah. T- tonight there. Tonight they're in, at, they're at, at Reno. Reno. Right, right, exactly. And then the UNLV, the men will play Utah State at home tomorrow. And then they'll close Saturday at uh, Reno. But uh, yeah, look for the Rebels to uh, to close out uh, an undefeated conference uh, slate. They're now twenty second in the country. And again, uh, they'll be the top seed in the Mountain West Conference tournament. So uh, get out there. Uh, for that. That'll be fantastic. The Thomas and Mack Center, you know, coming up next week. All right, we come back. Check as Bazito joins us over at Red Rock. We'll talk about betting on the tournament. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a half time. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. In. Yes, the madness right around the corner as uh, we approach March tomorrow, right? Yeah. All right, let's go out to Red Rock and talk to our good friend uh, Chuck Esposito, the uh, director of race and sports over there at the Station Casinos Properties. What is going on, my friend? All good, T. It's just, uh, you know, 
NBA uh, trade deadline was over, and now we got the NHL trade deadline with a lot of movement going on, including Patrick Kane today. Yes. And uh, baseball, you know, get uh, baseball kind of preseason or exhibition starting up, and uh, some of the smaller conference tournaments have started. So it's a uh, it's a fun time for us, really. You know, no downtime. Had a little bit of a slowdown between Super Bowl and the start of March Madness, but uh, the madness is just about here. So uh, we're excited about it. We kick off our last man standing contest tomorrow, 50000 guaranteed. Um, so a lot of good stuff, buddy. I know, no doubt about it. Now you're sitting there talking about, uh, you know, you know, baseball and everything, Chuck. Uh, do you, do you put, a, have you implemented any of the baseball rules there in your sports book? Have you put a clock on, uh, on, on any of your coworkers <laughs> over there? Have you, have you put a clock oh. on Jason Symbol at all? That's what I want to know. Only Symbol at lunch. That's it. That's the only <laughs> clock. Symbol at lunch. That's it. As you should. It. It's winding up. Come on, Symbol. Let's go get in the box. Hurry up. Get in the box. <laughs> He's been tossed out a few times for, you know, overextending, but uh, that's another story. That is another story for another day. <laughs> I love it, man. What do you think about this, Chuck? I, I actually got a, watch, a chance to watch a little bit of uh, a couple innings uh, today and the first time to see uh, the speed game uh, going on here with the with the Major League Baseball and the pitch clock and the batters. And uh, Give me your take on this. What do you think we're in for? Uh, you know... So baseball had become, you know, very slow at times. And I think when you look at the other sports, they're, they're just trying to speed up the game. I mean, sometimes you do have certain batters. I mean, over the last, you know, decade that we would refer to as a human rain delay. Right. And uh, it would really slow things down. So I know they're trying to expedite it and make the game a little bit more exciting. Um, and, and I totally get it. I guess only time will tell. You know, uh, you hate to see maybe a closer or big game end on something like that. But it's something that everyone's going to have to get used to, and it's obvious they're going to enforce it because they have been in, uh, in you know, in the, in the in the exhibition game so far. But I think it's just a little bit different. You know, the running, the runner on second base, uh, the larger bases, um, the, the play at home plate about the interference call, and now this. I mean, if you're a baseball purist, it really has kind of changed the the, the dynamic of the game uh, somewhat. I know it's to to speed the game up somewhat and to make it a little bit more safer. Um, and I guess we'll have to find out how how it's received and, you know, how ratings go and, and, you know, what effect it has on the games from a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's, if you're a purist or just a casual fan or whatever, I mean, we've never, ever, ever had a clock in the game of baseball going to open more than a century. Right. I mean, it is going to be different. And we're seeing players struggle with this right now. I think over time, everybody will get used to it. But here's what, where my big question is. Once these games start and once we start getting deep into the season, we start getting the playoffs. I want to know, are the umpires really going to adhere to, you know, this clock? Or are they going to kind of let it slide a little bit? You know how it is chucking football when we know the guy has, that the, that the center has not snapped that ball and we've seen zero on the play clock and we're going, it's a flag. It's a flag. And they go, well, we kind of give you this like second and a half, two second grace period. I just wonder, are, are umpires going to, kind of chill out a little bit over time with that, especially with some of the, the goofiness that we're seeing where that the batter has to make contact, eye contact with the pitcher with eight seconds left. I mean, how do you monitor this? I don't know, T. I mean, I, I guess that's what we'll all have to, to wait and see, what, what the impact is, how it ultimately plays out, and go from there. Uh, you know, um is everyone going to know when the time clock's expired or how is that going to uh, kind of be presented to the fan base and, uh, you know, and, and people in the stands? But uh, it'll be, again, a little bit wait and see, I think, for all of us. Yeah. I, I want to see if there's actually going to be a horn. Are we going to have the, the end of the game <laughs> horn? Is that going to come into play too? Uh, it's just, it's crazy. Well, I mean, you see in the NBA, you know, with the way the, the backboard kind of lights up and, you yeah. know, it's uh, – it, it it does make it easier. I mean, we've talked about it a lot in in pro football that we're we're screaming sometimes. You know, play clocks at zero. Play clocks at zero. And you know, maybe there needs to be something that kind of you know uh, illuminates or or a horn or something. <laughs> I mean, all these leagues are always you know changing and looking at ways to you know to better the league and and speed up the game. Um, but but I think in baseball's case. You know, just with the the length of of time of some of these games, they're just looking to to kind of 
um, speed those up somewhat. So um, we'll see how these changes kind of play out and what their ultimate effect is. But, uh, you know, being a baseball fan, I'm anxious to see. Yeah. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock. Uh, Chuck, uh, when we're talking about uh, future bets here with baseball, always a very popular time right now, the next couple of weeks leading up to opening day, uh, you know, f- the betters are going to come and, and, and bet, uh, play some future wagers here. Uh, I would imagine the Padres are probably a, kind of a popular pick right now. Uh, tell us what kind of uh, action that you're seeing and what kind of line movement are we seeing uh, with some of these future plays? Yeah, no, no question. Um, the Padres are uh, are, are a hot commodity. Um, you know, they sit right behind the Dodgers and Astros right now, and it wouldn't surprise me uh, to see them kind of uh, have low rods and the Dodgers. Dodgers lose Lux for the year right now. Um, they don't seem to be quite um, as deep as they've been over the last couple of years, and that could be intentional. Um, making a serious play for Otani, maybe um, you know, at the deadline or or, or next year. Um, but uh, they're, they're definitely a team that's gotten a, a lot of, you know, kind of love. The Rays have gotten a little love, um, you know, as well. Um, but you know, the Rangers, with uh, some of the moves that they've made, um, have, have uh, has been another kind of popular team right now. But I think the Braves, Phillies, you know, Mets, all three teams in the National League East are really, really loaded kind of teams. Um, anxious to see how the way that division um, kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, back to the college basketball. As we know, the uh, the madness is is here. The conference tournaments, uh, we got plenty of those here in Las Vegas. Uh, do you have a conference future lines up uh, yet, Chuck? As far as uh, you know, teams to win uh, their conference tournaments. I'm sorry. What T? I didn't hear what you said. I said, do you have uh, the uh, future lines up on on our teams to win their conference tournaments? Uh, that's stuff that's all going to be going up within the next kind of day or so. Okay. Um, that you'll see probably about ten of those that that hit the board in the next day or so. We'll be getting all those up. But it is, you know, for us, it's fun that when you've got you know the Sun Belt and the Horizon and and some of these smaller conferences that start when you've got some earlier start times and and games kind of. You know, the week before the uh, all the big conference tournaments start, um, it, it really kind of adds to the overall betting menu. And there's such a correlation, as we've talked about, with being able to watch an event and wager on an event. And with the mobile app now, it really brings the sports book to you. Um, that the, the conference tournaments themselves have become so big and so competitive and I think make even the, the committee's decision so much more tougher when a school kind of comes out of a conference that no one expected them to. Um, it, it's going to be fun. I, I really love the conference tournaments as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Like I said, we got uh, is something already going on, and the WCC will start here uh, this week uh, here in Vegas. Then, of course, we know we've got the Mountain West, the Big West, and the Pac-12, the WAC, uh, you know, coming as well. Uh, what? Uh, give me what uh, conference uh, tournament here, especially here locally, Chuck, that you got your eyes on here. You, you know, T, I want to see them all. Yeah, um, you know, I want to. I want to be able to, you know, hopefully hit a few games and and. And, and watch them all and just see how it unfolds. I know I've been fortunate enough to go to some of the Pac-12 ones in the past, and it's exciting basketball. It's always fun to, um, to be at and have a chance to, to watch some of these games up close and, and uh, in person. But I'd say probably Pac-12 most of all. Yeah, yeah, and we look forward to it. And uh, now with the women's side, with the success that the Lady Rebels are having here. Uh, now, do we have games on the board with them, and, and, and will we? And, and can we? We, we do. We, yeah. We've we've actually had that up for a while now. T. We've started to book like the the top twenty five um, women's games, yeah. and we've added uh, UNLV's games. That was before they actually were twenty moved into the the top twenty five. I think they were uh, in the fifty one spot when we started adding them to our our wagering menu. So I think very similar to what we did with you know the Aces. Anytime we've got a you know a, a professional team or a popular team from Vegas that's doing well, we always want to kind of put those wagering options up and add them as quickly as we can. Uh, so we've had the Lady Rebels up for quite some time now, um, and uh, they're getting some good play, uh, that's for sure. No doubt about it. All right. The NBA side, uh, Chuck, you know, we spend so much time talking about, you know, college basketball here, uh, but the NBA is coming down, you know, to crunch time as well. We're seeing just a ton of of high scores individually. And then, you know, we had a game there the other night with the Sacramento Kings where, you know, we had 175 to, to 174. Uh, are you at a point, have you ever seen, you know, NBA totals now where, 
where where they are. I mean, I remember like going way back in the day where we would see games that would be in the 120s and, and the 130s. But then remember, once we got into probably I would say the the late 80s and all throughout the 90s, man, we saw like a more of a defensive brand of basketball. But now all of a sudden, the last couple of years, we've really seen an uptick in scoring. Yeah, we have. I mean, I that night with that game, I think it was 164 all at the end of overtime, and you're like, oh my God, what are they going to end up scoring in this game? Um, but you're right. I think 80s and 90s, I think, you know, the Bulls and Pistons alike, they played such a, and the Knicks, especially in the East, such a different style of basketball, and, and defense was at a premium, and you saw games, even in the NBA Finals, that were in, you know, in the 80s. Um, it's a different era now. It's a different game. Um, I think the three is such a big part of what goes on, and it wasn't that much then. I mean, you still had guys that could shoot the three. I remember being a you know a Bulls fan and watching guys like Jim Paxton or John Paxton and B.J. Armstrong and, and Hodges all be able to drain that three and, and, and Jordan implementing them into the game plan. But defense was at a premium way more than it is today. Yeah, no question uh, about it. Uh, so we got NBA betting, and you know we get the news now that LeBron James uh, is probably going to be out for a couple weeks. Uh, you know, the Lakers were sitting in that 13th spot on the outside looking in, and we know the Lakers are always still a very popular team, uh, whether it's LeBron James or not. Here, uh, you know, give us give us your take on 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 that, and who are some uh, has turned into some of these other public NBA teams. I mean, the West is loaded, T. I mean, I mean, I think you look at the East, and it's it's kind of Buck Celtics at the top, and I think there's a drop-off. When you look at out West and, and look at the way the Kings have played this year, but looking at the Suns and, and what they've been able to pick up now, looking at the, at the Clip and what they've been able to pick up, we know the Mavs have helped themselves, Nuggets and Grizzlies at the top, um, Warriors ever so a dangerous team, that this, this West is going to be interesting to watch. Lakers didn't make the postseason last year. They've won three in a row now. I know they're going to reevaluate LeBron in like two weeks. It could be longer than that. Um, but I think it's going to be tough maybe for, for them to get in. Um, although they are playing a little bit better right now. When you need to, to leapfrog, you know, three, four teams, sometimes it's really tough this late in the season, especially without a guy like LeBron James. No question. All right, uh, Chuck, we had talked a little bit earlier about the, uh, I'll say the novelty fight that took place on Sunday in Saudi Arabia <laughs> with Tommy Fury <laughs> and, uh, and Jake Paul. Uh, give us y- your, your thoughts on this and what kind of handle, uh, if any, did you take on this fight? You know, the handle wasn't bad at all, T. It was actually a pretty decent handle. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the fight. Uh, I had some other stuff going on. Um, I know there's a mandatory um, rematch if Paul lost, which my guess is they they will fight again. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a trilogy with uh, with these with these two guys. Um, but I mean, it, it did draw some interest, no question about it. And the XFL side, we know the Vipers uh, played at home at Cashman Field. Uh, what's been the first couple weeks at the book like uh, betting XFL? I mean, we know that fans are crazy about football, but are they are they crazy and willing to to come to the window and, and bet some serious money on this product, Chuck? Jury is still out, T. Um, you know, actually, I just had read an article uh, prior to us jumping on the air that um, uh, viewership has dropped now 50% after the first, uh, yep. you know, from week one to week two. Um, I've watched a little bit of uh, the first couple of weeks. Still kind of a, a fun product to watch. Um, unfortunately, the Vegas team kind of, uh, you know, had opportunities to win both games but but haven't yet. Um, really kind of anxious to see where ultimately it goes. I know there's some serious, you know, money behind it with The Rock. And, um, you know, I get football is king, um, but – I think jury's still out at this point just to see ultimately how successful it ends up being. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about uh, news with your Chicago Bears, Chuck, as we transition to the NFL, talking about trading the number one pick. How does that set with you? I think it sets really well with me. I think it does with all Bear fans. Um, I, th- I think you look at a young quarterback in Justin Fields, and uh, he seemed to, to kind of after that Washington commander Thursday night game where he really played poorly and had opportunities to win the game and didn't. Um, he played much better the second half of the season, had an opportunity almost to break the rushing record, um, but he didn't have a great cast around him. Uh, you have to hope that you get a, a Mooney back and that commit continues to develop and that Claypool, you know, buys into the system, but you're going to need to go out there and get a big time wide out. We saw the progression of, of Josh Allen after he picked up Stephon Diggs. Same thing with Jalen Hurts with the trade for A.J. Brown. 
So either it's via the draft or a trade or free agency. We know we've heard, you know, T. Higgins' name kind of mentioned out there as a potential target, not only for the Bears, but for other teams as well. I know Cincy says no, but is there enough money in the coffer to pay Burrow, uh, Chase, and Higgins? Um, I think it'll be an interesting question for Cincinnati. But if you're a Bear fan and you can, you know, kind of trade out of that one spot and maybe trade multiple times, maybe to two and four, and still have an opportunity to, to land a Jalen Carter or a Will Anderson, I think it's a no-brainer that they, they pick up assets, pick up, you know, a number of maybe number twos, maybe even an additional number one this year or next year just by trading back a few spots. I think it's a no-brainer, and I think you have to stick with uh, with Justin Fields at this point and give him an opportunity to show everybody what he can do. You have to remember that he's still on his rookie deal. Um, he only has a couple years into it. If for some reason he were to regress this year, that would probably mean the Bears, again, weren't very good and would sit kind of close to the top of the draft board, if not the top. And, you know, Caleb Williams comes out next year from Southern Cal, who's going to be, you know, definitely in discussion for that number one pick. But I think the Bears make the right call by uh, by trading that pick, sticking with Justin Fields, and with over $100 million in salary cap available to them, try to surround him with a better surrounding cast, like kind of what both Buffalo and Philadelphia did, the young quarterbacks, as I mentioned, in Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. We've only seen a team trade, I believe, one the number one overall pick one time in the last twenty five years. So uh, that would be that would be a little bit unusual, a little bit strange. But it, but again, hey, the, the Bears are are throwing that out there that uh, hey, they're they're willing to accept uh, all kinds of offers here. So uh, we'll see how that. I, I think it's going to happen, T. I, I really do. I think the combine's the key. Uh, people are going to get an opportunity to see, you know, a Will Levis or a or, or a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud cover and Anthony Richardson kind of run, throw, look at the measurables. And I think that the experiment that like the Colts had with, you know, if it, if it was Matt Ryan or if it was, uh, you know, a number of quarterbacks they went with, um, you know, and didn't build with a young quarterback after Andrew Luck. I think the Colts, the Texans, the Panthers, uh, maybe the Raiders, uh, Saints, there's a number of teams, Seahawks, that might be looking um, to trade up and kind of get one of these young guys. So I think the combine is going to be kind of interesting and crucial to see what the development is of some of these young quarterbacks. All right, we know that Derek Carr visited with the uh, Saints. He visited with the Jets. And uh, today he's visiting with the uh, Carolina Panthers. So uh, very interesting. Uh, makes a lot of sense uh, you know, for him to maybe end up uh, in the Panthers. Or maybe I could see him with, uh, with one of any of those three teams, Chuck. What's your gut feeling where Carr ends up here? You know, I look at the Panthers, and I think they they seem eerily similar to me to the Colts in the experiment of, you know, they, with Sam Darnall and and then Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I think they need to, to get a young quarterback at this point. Not that Carr's not, you know, maybe a better option than those guys, but I think Carr's a better fit for the Jets, who've got really good young skill position players around him and a Super Bowl caliber defense. And I think the Saints the same way. You know, you still have Kamara. Uh, you've got a really young, you know, stud super receiver in Chris Olave. You've got a good defense there as well. Um, I, I would put the Saints and, uh, and the Jets, uh, uh, to me, uh, a notch above the Panthers. I think the Panthers look to, to get one of these young quarterbacks and, and kind of trade up in the draft. And I still think that they're in play for the Bears, although at their draft position, I think at nine, they probably have to give up the most, maybe multiple number ones, and maybe a player like Burns or DJ Moore to, to move up um, to get one of these young quarterbacks, or especially to move up to number one. Um, but I think Carr's a better fit, for, in my opinion, for either the Jets or Saints. I got the defense. I mean, both those teams actually, well, all three of them really have uh, very good defenses. Probably the Jets are uh, the better, and uh, it'd be definitely different for Derek Carr playing with a team that has a decent defense, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, you've got the familiarity with, with Dennis Allen, the head yep. coach of the, of the, um, Saints. Uh, of the Saints. I think, there, I think there's a stat out there, too, which might be interesting if he goes to the Jets, that Carr has never won a game that he started when the temperature was below 38 degrees. That's right. Um, I, I'd have to double-check that, but I think it's, 
it's something in that area. Yeah. So maybe just something to think about if you're a if you're a Jets fan if you ultimately sign him. But he had a really good surrounding team around him last year. He had moments of greatness, but he also threw a lot of ints. And that second half of the season really, I, I think, was you know what kind of did him in. Uh, I think he's still a talented quarterback, and you go to the right situation. I think he's much. He's a huge upgrade on what either the Saints or Jets had. Chuck Esposito joins us, and Chuck is out at Red Rock. Uh, the Station Casino property is fantastic places to not only watch and wager on the games, but get the mobile app as well, too, so that way you can go anywhere, uh, bet from the palm of your own hand there, uh, the STN mobile app. And then, as we know, Chuck, with March Madness, I know that you guys are going to be having a lot of great stuff happening uh, during the course of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we are, T. First, real quick, on STN Sports, our mobile app, we still have up to that $500 bonus going on for new signups. And, you know, you hit it, talking about the college basketball tournament and March Madness. We actually start, as the calendar turns tomorrow to March 1, we start signups for Last Man Standing, our signature contest, guaranteeing $50,000 this year. Um, so get signed up. It's such a fun contest. And, you know, it's kind of like the tournament. You win and you move on. Right. You lose and you go home. $25 entry fee for one. 100 gets you four and a bonus. Fifth entry. And, again, 50000 guaranteed. We'll be showing the games here, I know, not only in the Race and Sportsbook, but in Rocks Lounge as well. I know a lot of our properties got some cool stuff that is planned that we'll be getting out there, of course, with uh, with you and I in the coming weeks and, and, and other avenues as well. But uh, get signed up for the mobile app. And don't forget, we start taking apps tomorrow for last man standing, 50000 guaranteed. It is fantastic, too. Like you said, survive in advance. And uh, <laughs> again, for a, a very minimal entry fee like that, it is it is fun. There's no question about it. And, hey, uh, a chance to get to 50K, no question. Chuck, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, T. Sounds great, buddy. Thank you. Chuck Esposito, the best. No question about it. Uh, over there at uh, Red Rock. I want to thank Chuck for joining us today, Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity, and also Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. If you miss any part of those interviews or the show today, make sure you go to tcmartinshow.com, wherever you get your podcasts, get the show there, and go to the website. Uh, everything is there, including all of our current interviews, the past interviews, the classics, all there for you at your disposal. Got a little Tuesday? A little Tuesday afternoon for me? Well, Tuesday something. A little Leonard Skinner. Want to close out on that today? I like it. Back at it again tomorrow. The coach joins us tomorrow. Pete Gillen. Get ready. Yes, he's still alive. Of course he is. Doing a fantastic job. He was on the UNR Wyoming game last night. Pete's been all over the place. And our good friend Tim Brando, as you know, doing the, the Big East thing uh, for Fox Sports. All right, that interview's up on the website right now as well. For Nub Chuck, TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2. I'm leaving my woman.